Hi, my name is Stephanie Gordon. I'm one of the hosts for the Zurich North America podcast, Future of Risk. Cars have been in American news headlines for the last couple of years with supply chain disruptions, chip shortages, inventory, increase in theft. And our guest today knows a lot about this topic. We're with Zurich's head of direct markets in North America, Vince Santavasi. Vince's team works with auto dealers, manufacturers, consumer warranty companies, and vehicle rental operators. Hello, Vince. Welcome. Hello, Stephanie. Thanks for having me. It's great to be with you. Pleasure. So you and your crew just came back from the National Auto Dealers Association, um, usually NADA, you call that, their annual meeting. So we're going to talk about some existing and emerging risks that are on the minds of auto dealers, right? And I thought we could start by talking about NADA. Maybe first of all, what is it? Who is there? What was the environment like this year? Yeah, absolutely. So um, as you mentioned, the National Auto Dealer Association Convention is held annually. This is the second year back in person. It is comprised really of automobile dealers and then anything that's related to cars. So it could be uh, you'll see the manufacturers there with a couple of cars. You'll see you know, insurance carriers and warranty companies like Zurich. Um, you'll see anything that might support that industry. I think it was around 35,000 people there. Wow. It was, <laughs> um, yeah, a, a big, big group descending on Dallas. And um, I think the NADA said it was their fourth largest attended uh, convention in history. So people want to be back. The environment was just exciting, fun, you know, versus last year where I think the majority of the attendees were kind of feeling it out a little bit. This year seemed to be much more focused and much more back to business. You know, the assumption of, all right, we're, we're out, we're in public, we're, we're meeting again, you know, let's get some things done was much more evident, I think, this year versus last year. I don't know if this is true or not. You could tell me, but um, I've always felt like the car industry, especially, is very personal. It's very face to face. You know, if you're in a dealership or something like that. So I would imagine this is a group of people who very much need to feel that that personal in-person connection. There's no question. I mean, look, it's still a relationship business. I mean, even with technology, even with online car purchases, even with opportunities to buy products in different ways, it still comes down to sitting face to face with somebody and having a conversation on really what the customer wants. And so for us, it could be auto dealers or rental car companies, um, but it's listening to the customer. And I don't think there's any better way to do that than you know being in person. Right. Um, why don't we start by talking about something that's impacting most areas of the economy, which of course is supply chain. Are dealers finally starting to see some increase in their inventory? And, and if so, how is that affecting any changes that they have made perhaps during the couple of years when we were dealing with so many shortages? Yeah, I mean, inventory is, is certainly a risk for dealers and for us as an insurance carrier as well. Um, but what I would say is dealers, uh, customers, we, we all move much faster than we used to. And so the pace of play is increased. And and so even with technology, you know, unlocking, you know, some more efficient ways of conducting business and customer expectations around products and services, you know, being a little bit more convenient, there's still this, we need to move quicker. And so with inventory, it's no different. Like we want more inventory now. So for dealers over the last year and a half, there really hasn't been a ton of inventory for them to sell. 
And so, you know, it's kind of like I've heard the story time and time again of a customer walking into a dealership and saying, I'm interested in that car. And the salesperson saying, well, the you know, kind of the price is on the window if you want it. If you don't, there's somebody else that's going to come in in five minutes and want to buy it. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> you know, so it's changing in a couple of ways. One is inventory is starting to come back. We don't believe it's going to be back to anywhere near um, demand till late this year and, and more than likely in 24, according to manufacturers and other analysts. Um, and the other thing that is changing as as interest rates rise a little bit or a lot, um, the demand is softening a little bit. So, you know, that that process of, of just kind of pointing and saying, here's the price, that's going to change. It's going to get much, back to a much more process-driven sales process. And I think for dealers and their employees, maybe they're not as used to doing that as they were a few years ago. So, that, so that's going to change. Yeah. So what I'm hearing you say is the need to be adaptable and flexible because changes are coming one way or another, um, impacting a lot of different aspects of the experience. Yeah, there's no question. I mean, I think, you know, if you go back a decade ago, there was really one kind of sales process and it started with meet and greet because you assume somebody was walking into the dealership or on the lot. Um, now a dealer can be contacted in a bunch of different ways, right? It could be online, it could be a phone call, it could be walking on the lot, it could be the manufacturer giving them a sales lead. So you have to have a process in place to handle everything ingoing and outgoing and uh, you need to be flexible and you need to move quickly. Customers' expectations are when I make a phone call, send an email, my expectation is I'm going to get a return quickly, not in a day or two. And and since you mentioned it, maybe we can talk just for a second about a change that we're seeing is the sales distribution model with an increase in digital car sales. People are researching and even buying online. How do you rate that risk? Do all dealers need to have a plan to evolve from the traditional showroom or is this a niche um, market? Do you expect this trend to continue? Yeah, this isn't going away. It's trying to figure out what is the best way to do it. So, you know, customers like the convenience. And if you're listening to the customer, they're saying we want an easier process to buy a car. And, if, and you know, some of the focus groups we've done over the years basically were saying from customers, if you make the process easier, I'll buy more cars. The thought of doing it is sometimes dreadful and it, it can't be and shouldn't be that way. So I think from an online perspective, um, dealers are um, – and manufacturers are obviously trying to figure out what is the best path. Most of them have some type of online process or online presence to actually purchase a car, you know, completely online. I think what we've seen over the last couple of years is that customers will do research. They'll pick out a car, but when it comes to the very end, which it says, you know, purchase, in most cases, they still either want to test drive it. They still want to talk to somebody before they make that final you know, decision. And I think you could see evidence of, you know, everybody thought Carvana, for example, was going to be the solution to all this and they were going to really explode. I think for several reasons, including inventory, they've really struggled over the last year and a half. And so I think it's going to be interesting to see how the manufacturers and the dealers work together. Some manufacturers are looking towards EVs as their way to do more of an online presence and the dealer would just be kind of the pickup point after a car was ordered. Um, I'm not sure the dealers really like that too much. So I think they'll have some more input on what that process ends up being. But the bottom line is there has to be flexibility and, and online car sales are here to stay. 
it's I, I'm it's probably old school from my perspective, but I can't imagine making such a big purchase as a car exclusively online. You know, without without that face to face contact, painful though it sometimes is. Like <laughs> I just I can't imagine that. But I hear what you're saying about it evolving. Um, but on that note of the face to face contact, so why don't we talk a little bit about um, a risk that isn't necessarily unique to the auto dealer industry? We've been hearing about it everywhere, but that's talent. Um, acquisition, retention, et cetera. So number one, I think the compensation model you've alluded to, you know, for auto salespeople probably changed during the shortage. But also we're seeing the service field is going to have to evolve because technicians need skills now, whether it's dealing with windshield technology or electric vehicles, et cetera. So what's the story with recruiting and retaining talent um, in this industry? Yeah, I mean, it's obviously an issue in the automotive industry, but it's a labor shortage and skill set issue across right. all industries, right? So, you know, from an auto perspective, you know, it's for the most part, it's salespeople and it's technicians. And you're right on the technician side, um, you know, the ongoing training is such a big deal. And I think, you know, for recruitment, we've seen over the last couple of years, you know, signing bonuses for technicians, which we never saw in the past and a real opportunity for them to make more money than they've probably ever made in the past. But to me, this comes down to, you know, does does the business owner have a clear plan on how to recruit, um, how to engage, and how to, once you hire the employee, keep them connected and develop a career path for them? So, you know, when it comes to um, any industry, it's really, you know, your reputation goes a long way. People want to work for you. They want to work for a company that's growing and not shrinking, and that creates career paths. So our advice to dealers is always to keep your employees engaged once they're on board, challenged, connected. You have to provide training. You have to provide growth opportunities. And I think when it comes to growth opportunities, a clear path on what what the career might look like for them. And so I think that's one thing at Zork we've always done a great job of with our employees is really being able to identify talent, make sure that we we get them trained or, and improve their skill sets and really ask them where they want to go and help them get there. And I think whether it's in the auto business or, or in any other industry, it's really, you know, I see our job as leaders is to provide a pathway for people that, that are coming after us to have great careers. And so, um, we do that. We teach that to, you know, our auto dealers as well. And then, you know, the auto business has traditionally been, you're going to spend a lot of hours there, right? You're going to work 50, right. 60, 70 hours a week. Yeah. That's changed quite a bit over the years. And I think, you know, this younger generation certainly looking more, and not just the younger generation, all generations are looking for a little bit better work-life balance. Um, and so what does that look like? And how does that help you attract more talent? And I think we've seen certainly during the pandemic that there are some things that can get accomplished without being in the dealership per se, or without being in the office. So is there an opportunity to have a shorter work week or reduced hours? And I, I think that's real big. And I think as you get, get employees hired, it's that belonging piece. It's, you know, the I culture. had the opportunity. Yeah, the culture. And, I, you know, I had some uh, opportunity to spend some time with Damon Lester, who was former president of the National Minority Auto Dealer Association and now a car dealer, and he's on the board for NAMAD. And he talked about that. He talked about diversity and inclusion. And look, 
people that are buying cars today that are in that are buying services or products from anywhere it is a diverse crew and in m- many cases we don't have a diverse enough workforce and so how do we recruit for that and how do we make sure once we have diversity employed that they feel like they belong and so i, I think that's something we need to keep thinking about and working on whether it's employee resource groups um and also, again, back to giving them a career path, and I think that's going to help us all. So what I'm hearing is a lot of thinking about well-being, uh, which is not a topic necessarily that we we were talking about just even a few years ago. But I think, like you said, a lot of expectations have changed, not only generationally, um, but during the pandemic, we kind of got rewired a little bit, right? Yeah, there's no question. I, I think... To me, the one positive that has come out of this is people are more open to talk about mental health, for example, as part of well-being. And I don't think two or three years ago, um, and I was talking to somebody at the convention about, you know, just growing up. And if you said you were struggling with something emotionally or mentally, they, you know, somebody would say, brush yourself off and get back to work. Right. Yeah. It's, not, it's not that way anymore. I mean, I think we have an opportunity to, to talk to people and, and try to help them. And um, and you need to do that, you know, really early on. One thing we've done at Zurich, and we've really tried to, to preach that to our customers, is to have apprenticeship programs and start people out um, just out of college, just out of high school, and get them involved in an industry. And at the same time, make sure that they understand that it's okay to talk about well-being, whether it's social, financial, um, mental health, uh, or physical. That's all part of it. And I think when industries can embrace that, they're going to get employees that are much healthier in all those areas, but also they want to stay because you care. Right, right. Um, so let's pivot for a second. Uh, let's talk about another hot topic from NADA, um, and that's consolidation and dealer acquisitions. Can you talk a little bit about that? What What's that mean? Is that new? Uh, no, it's not new. I mean, certainly consolidation is just these larger dealer groups getting bigger and bigger. Okay. And they're buying more and more stores. So it's whether it's a single point store, or two or three point stores. I mean, years ago, I don't have all the statistics in front of me, but we've gone from 21 or 22,000 dealership rooftops down to 16,000 or maybe even under that now in the last several years. And a big piece of that has been consolidation um, and, and through acquisition in many cases. And so, you know, what it presents is there's fewer decision makers out there in the industry. And those decision makers certainly carry more power and how they make decisions. And the way it impacts, you know, a company like us is we need to be large enough, flexible enough, fast enough to accommodate small, medium and larger groups and be able to move quickly when a larger group wants to make a change. And so um, I I think for the auto industry, in fact, one of the uh, speakers uh, Brian DeBoer from Lithia was at NADA, talked about, I think they have 280 stores now, and they want to be at 450 to 500 stores by the end of 2025. So wow, you huge. see they're growing. Yeah, they're growing in a big way. And and some of these, you know, businesses, these auto dealers that have had, you know, second, third, fourth generation, where they've, they've grown from one or two stores to eight or 10, there's an opportunity for them to sell the values on their business are really at an all-time high. And so all of that's come together to to make acquisition uh, front and center. Okay. 
So speaking of dealership, another thing that I've heard is that, and this is kind of a pragmatic one, we've been talking about a lot of big picture issues, but an increased fire risk. Some of that's like EV battery storage, and I hear conflicting things about that. Can you talk a little bit about that and break it down for us? Yeah, I think there's there's two that we're really paying attention to. One is solar panels on roofs, and the other one is, as you mentioned, is is battery storage for okay. for EVs. And so, you know, from an insurance company perspective, and from a from a company that where sustainability matters, right? I mean, climate change is real; it's happening. We see it in the storms and weather patterns, and that obviously impacts us and our customers. We are certainly in favor of a more sustainable environment. And part of that is having having solar power. The only thing we we tell our dealers is before you're, you're about to install solar panels on the roof of a dealership um, is to get risk engineering out. Get, get somebody who knows what they're doing to say, hey, the plan looks good, it'll work, and you should be okay, versus doing it and then after the fact having a problem. Because once you have an issue with a fire, that's caused by this, it's typically because it wasn't installed correctly. And so we just want to be a little bit preemptive and making sure that we're out there and talking to them. And then, you know, as um, EVs continue to grow, um, there is this question of battery storage and what does safety look like? And I'm not sure that the manufacturers are providing all the answers just yet, but certainly we can bring our risk services team out to help our customers, our dealers, think about you know how to store. This is not like removing you know a battery from an internal combustion vehicle that is you know five to seven or eight pounds. We're talking about batteries that need to be moved with forklifts and stored. So it's going to pr- create some challenges, and we just don't want to have issues with fire. And it can be prevented if we do it the right way. So the themes I'm hearing so far have a lot to do with flexibility, agility, um, being able to adapt and change quickly. And since you mentioned sustainability, why don't we go ahead and talk about that for a second? A lot of people think sustainability, and as it's going to relate to the auto industry, they're going to think about electric cars. Or you mentioned solar panels on dealerships, which is interesting. I wouldn't have thought of that. But I think your perspective on sustainability in this industry is a little broader than that. Can you share your thoughts? Yeah, I mean, I think it's how do you support this movement? And so, you know, for us, it's can you provide products and services that support the industry and and the end customer? And so, for example, if someone's buying an electric vehicle, certainly we've, we meaning Zurich, have provided vehicle service contracts through our dealers to the consumer buying a car. You know, we've recently come out with an electric vehicle service contract so that if something goes wrong with their electric vehicle, they can they can have it covered under warranty. So it's it's being able to support our customers, whether it's the dealers or the, or the customer buying a car in any sustainability efforts as it relates to certainly to EV. I mentioned, you know, solar panels as well. But, you know, there's more to sustainability than just that. There's sustainability of workforce, there's sustainability of of our careers. And I think, you know, we mentioned and talked quite a bunch about people, so I won't go back on that. But but to us, it's how do we make how do we make the world a better place by living within our means? And, and, you know, the EV and solar panels are just two examples. But but uh, what we do and, and what we eat and how we um, how we take care of each other certainly comes into play as well. All right, very good. Um, another risk 
that we've seen. Uh, we did a podcast about auto theft a couple months ago when the National Insurance Crime Bureau report came out talking about an uptick. Can you can you speak to that risk a little bit? Certainly, yeah. yeah. I mean, with, with limited inventory on the new car side and limited inventory on the used car side without right. paying yeah. quite a bit of money, you know, parts have certainly become worth more just like the whole of the vehicle, right? So we see um, catalytic converter theft, for example, has been on the rise for the last several years and cars as well, whether it's new or used. And in most cases, they are sold for parts. And so we, we see this increase in where we see customers, you know, taking a, taking a stance is, you know, installing cameras at their businesses, you know, locking gates, making sure keys are, are stored and locked, you know, just taking those precautionary measures um, to really try to reduce the risk of additional um, auto theft. But it's not just become an issue over the last few years, but it has just exploded over the last two years. And I think that's really been driven by inventory shortage and demand for parts more than anything else. So there's certainly a couple steps that you can take, and I just mentioned them, to protect yourselves and, and hopefully lower the risk. So the last thing, Vince, that, that I thought we could touch on today, uh, there's some regulatory issues facing uh, auto dealers, right? And I think one of them, the first one we'll talk about, is the Federal Trade Commission Safeguards Rule. That one's actually going into effect on June 9th. And if I understand it correctly, so dealers obviously have a lot of consumer data, and they're increasingly being the target of cyber attacks. So this safeguards rule is to protect consumers, right? So tell us about that and the impact that it's having on dealers. Yeah, so I mean, first of all, yeah, you mentioned it's it's in place or will be in place June 9th. I mean, this is something that we pay attention to is cyber and, and ransomware threats. And we've seen it, um, you know, real time with dealers. I mentioned an uh, interview I did a few weeks ago that I was with, I think, five or six dealers um, six to eight months ago, and three of them had cyber attacks that actually shut down their business. Wow. Um, and so imagine not being able to write a repair order for service or wanting to sell a car but not being able to complete paperwork or registration because you have no access to getting online because all your systems are shut down. It's real. It happens. Um, I think according to a dealership cybersecurity study, 15% of dealers have experienced a cybersecurity incident in the past year, and there's been some big payouts. And the flip side of that is it, it can hurt reputationally as well, right? So um, part of that um, study indicated that 84% of consumers would not purchase a vehicle from a dealership that ex had experienced a data breach. So when you take those things into consideration, we as a industry need to do a better job there. And one thing that we can do for our customers, our, our auto dealers and other customers, is really provide just an assessment. And I always ask our customers this, if there's a breach, if you have a cybersecurity incident, who do you call? What's the first phone call you make? And in many cases, they'll say, I, I don't know. I'm not sure who I would call. So that would indicate to me they don't have a plan in place, right? Yeah. How do we help them with a plan? That's first and foremost. And, and that risk is not going away. So it's not just premise theft, obviously, but cyber theft. And 
how big of a change is this for dealerships? And it probably varies, right, based on how big they are, or how many assets they have. But not only having the back-end technology in place, but as you indicated, having a plan. Like, this seems like it could be a pretty significant undertaking for dealers. It is, but I mean, I think that, that the dealers certainly are aware of the safeguard rule. It was, you know, intended to be implemented in December of 2022. They pushed it back to June 9th. So whether they're a single point dealer or they own 250 dealerships, the risk is still there. Um, and so um, they're aware of it. They've been working on it. We help them um, in providing, you know, um, some oversight, at least an in initial uh, look at their business and, and what they can do to set up some protection. So they're they're well aware of it and are taking steps to be in compliance by June 9th. Okay. Um, the last risk that we'll talk about, it also, also um, regulatory, involves the FTC. This one is still in the proposal phase, though, but basically they're proposing a regulatory rule that's going to protect car buyers from hidden costs and fees. Now, I'll say as a consumer, that sounds like a good idea to me, but what are the implications potentially on dealerships if this rule passes? Yeah, I mean, so look, we've made comment with support from NADA that, that we don't we don't like this um, and, and where they're going with this. And we feel like it puts too many restrictions on on the auto dealer. And this is not to say that the transaction between a customer buying a car and the auto dealer doesn't need complete transparency because it, it absolutely does. Um, and it is aimed to protect car buyers, which which we're all in favor of. What we're concerned about is that it lengthens a process that most people would already say is too long. And so, you know, with this, there's some concern that it's it's just it's too much, right? It's just it slows the process down because there's just too much paperwork to to be completed. And so, I, I think, you know, we've certainly made comments on it and and um, more work to be done, and I think we'll see what the FPC comes out with. But, you know, I always say to businesses that, you know, on the road to compliance, there's still profit to be made because once a process is put in place, it should be followed 100% of the time. And so that just naturally means people get better. They can move a little quicker with the process. And I think it's good for both, you know, the dealer and the consumer. Um, I, I think we just have to pay attention to how much scrutiny and how much um, additional work it's going to requ be required by the dealer. Sure. Makes sense. Absolutely. Well, Vince, thank you so much for taking the time to sit down and talk today. I had had no idea that there were like so many risks and, and such a variety, some huge, some very local and tangible on on this industry. So thank you for taking the time to share your insights with us. Yes, Stephanie, thanks for the time. I appreciate it and uh, look forward to chatting again in the future. Future of Risk, presented by Zurich North America. If you like the show, we'd appreciate it if you left a comment or review wherever you get your favorite podcasts. Let us know what you think at media at zurichna.com and join us next week. 
The information in this audio recording was compiled from sources believed to be reliable for general information purposes and is intended for Zurich clients and business partners. The information contained here may be useful to you or your enterprise when developing your own policies and procedures. The policies and procedures applicable to your enterprise should take into account the specific circumstances of your business and business environment, which is beyond the capacity of this podcast. Any and all information provided is not intended to constitute advice of any nature and is specifically not legal advice, and accordingly, you should consult with your own legal counsel. We do not guarantee the accuracy of this information presented or any results and further assume no liability in connection with this recording and the information provided therein. Moreover, Zurich reminds you that the information provided cannot be assumed to contain every acceptable safety and compliance procedure or that additional procedures might not be appropriate under the circumstances. The subject matter of this recording is not tied to any specific insurance product, nor will adopting these policies and procedures ensure coverage under any insurance policy. We encourage listeners to seek additional information from credible sources. Thank you.